This is The Deal with Nisim Black. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? Welcome back to The Deal with Nisim Black. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. Zoe Furtick is the former association director of the Jewish content at Oshman Family JCC in Palo Alto. There, she built a partnership between the Oshman Family JCC and BINA, the Jewish movement for social change, an effort to expand opportunities for American Jews to experience Jewish learning in the style of BINA's secular yeshivas. Zoe, welcome to The Deal. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. So listen, now your most recent position had you running a secular yeshiva. You already know that there's going to be so many different questions behind that. Like, You're going to ask me about the paradox of a secular yeshiva? Exactly. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to know the the moment that they hear secular yeshiva and everybody wants to know, what does that mean? And and how do you even get excited about doing something like that? Yeah, it's a great starting question. And unfortunately, it's going to take us down a definition rabbit hole. (laughs) Okay. Because when I say something like secular yeshiva, it begs the question, what is secular? And it begs the question, what's a yeshiva? So (laughs) let's start from the very beginning. Right. Um, Let's start with uh, the word that's maybe harder to translate, but that maybe is more familiar, which is yeshiva. Have you spent much time in a yeshiva, Nisim? No, thank God. Thank God I have not. (laughs) Why do you say thank God? Let's just let's jump right in. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not against yeshiva, but there's something that is so great and so grand about being either Balchuva, in my case, a gear that came from the outside that had this magical love affair with Hashem that came running after whoever would teach me something and not being able. It just it just so happened that I, you know, converted in Seattle, not a big yeshiva place. There's no yeshivas there. I was going to the Kolel and I was learning with people at their home and I had to work for everything I learned for. There was no system. There was no base midrash for me to just go sit in and just jump into the, I had to work for everything that I had. And I see the benefit of that over everything's being handed to me. I'm in yeshiva. There's a Rosh Yeshiva. Go ask all my questions to whatever. The struggle and the toil to find Emma's is so much more rewarding when you didn't come up in the system, so to speak. So I had a similar experience of having to sort of climb every ladder to get access to learning for different reasons than perhaps you didn't find learning readily available. So that by the time I found myself in a yeshiva setting, which was in the summer of 2014, I just spent two months in Manhattan at an amazing, amazing institution called Yeshivat Hadar. It's on the Upper West Side. And by the time I landed at Hadar and I was in what I what you call sort of like the system, I was so relieved because I found myself finally in a place where I wasn't fighting tooth and nail to get access to the learning but the learning was just all around me. And I was able to let go of the struggle of how to find Jewish learning. And I was able to actually enjoy it in an immersive way. So I fell in love with a yeshiva and I'm not the typical person perhaps that you would think of when you think of a yeshiva student, because I think probably like the general uh, image, the stereotypical image of a yeshiva bocher is obviously a bocher. It's a guy. <laughs> and we're talking about, you know, orthodox. We're talking about people who know how to like move their bodies like 
this back and forth, shuckling while they're learning. And, you know, they're wearing certain outfits that I wouldn't wear. And I didn't care that I wasn't the typical persona of someone who would have access to a yeshiva. I fell in love with the idea of Jewish learning and I was looking for learning wherever I could get it. This was in my early 20s when I discovered Jewish learning. And I'm sure you and I will will get to how I how I became interested in Jewish learning. But a yeshiva is a place where you can do traditional Jewish learning. It's a place where the tables are sitting in, are in rows and you sit across the table from your chavrusa, from your chavruta, from your partner, your learning pair. And there is a certain noise of all of these learning pairs sitting across the table from each other and studying the same material, but in their own way. So that's a yeshiva. Okay, fine. Now what's a secular yeshiva? What's secular? So... I think secular is a terrible word and I wish I didn't have to use it, but I don't know what word to use. And if you, your command of the English language and all of your artistic creativity can come up with a better word for secular Nisim, then this podcast will have paid, paid the dues. <laughs> but when I use the word secular, I'm actually translating a word from Hebrew, which is the word chiloni. And chiloni has a different connotation in Hebrew and in Israeli culture than I think the word secular does in in English. I mean, but it's like that with a lot of words. Once you say it in English, it's like, no, but it doesn't really mean. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't really mean that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so when, when you say secular in English, probably what you mean is uh, like a world without God. And that means a world without revelation. It means that you access knowledge through reason instead of through divine revelation. And so if you're just like on the street talking about secular in America, probably what people think you mean is, I don't believe in God. I don't think that's what it means in, in Israel. I don't think that chiloni has anything really to do with God. I think a lot of chiloni people in Israel believe in God. So when you say chiloni in Israel, what you're talking about is not observant. What you're talking about is someone who's not shomer mitzvot, someone who doesn't keep the commandments, someone who doesn't keep kosher, someone who doesn't keep Shabbat. And I'm using chiloni, I'm using Using secular, when I say secular shiva, I'm really talking about non-observant. So I'm talking about a place where you can learn Torah and Talmud and all traditional Jewish texts in a traditional way without having to keep strict observance of the commandments. That's what I mean when I say secular shiva. Got it. So the the end goal would be, I mean, what is the end goal from that? And whatever you're trying to achieve, do you see that you're achieving it? Okay, great. Yeah, I mean. I can't say for sure that I can see that I'm achieving it, but I can tell you about my own personal experience because I feel like I achieved it. I was at a crossroads in my Jewish journey. I was in my early 20s. I had grown up reform. I had spent time in Israel. And there was something still lacking for me. There was something that wasn't full about my Judaism. But because I grew up reform and because I hung out in secular Israel in my teens, I had come back to America in my early 20s. And I, I wasn't really sure how to fill up my Judaism. Because to be fully Jewish in America, to have an immersive Jewish experience, to have a Jewish life that's full of meaning... I mean, the truth is the people who are doing the best are the are the Orthodox Jews, if I'm being honest. I couldn't figure out how to have a full Jewish experience in my day to day without becoming Orthodox. And I am not a person who keeps Shabbat. I'm not a person who keeps strict kosher. And I didn't want to be. So I wasn't sure how to fill up my Jewish life. And what I experienced when I started learning Torah for the first time was that it was the first experience I had Jewishly where my Jude it just felt like it was growing the Jewish feeling inside me from the inside. It was the first time where I felt like, oh, 
oh, learning Torah makes me feel more Jewish all the time, right. <laughs> 24-7, right. right? The way that it works, I think, is probably as simple as this. You know, when you like see a great movie or you listen to a great song and then for like the next day, everything makes you think of that movie. Everything makes you think of that song. Right, 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 right. Learning Torah is like that because when you learn a piece of Torah in the morning, you walk around with it for the rest of the day and right. everything makes you think about it. And so what ends up happening is that you learn a little bit of Torah in the morning and then the rest of your day feels more Jewish. It takes on a Jewish feeling because your reference set becomes more Jewish in some way. The things that you are reacting to in the world aren't just the song you lo- you heard yesterday or the movie you liked last week. It's some Jewish story. It's some Jewish teaching. It's some Jewish person. And you start seeing the world through Jewish eyes when you learn Torah. Right. I would definitely agree with that. And I think one of the biggest issues that I've had in the yeshiva system is the lack of study of Tanakh. And one of my favorite things is like this. I love to learn Tanakh and I'm really focusing on the relationships that the individuals are having with God in the Tanakh. I'm looking at the chain and the favor that Hashem is placing on on Abraham, and I'm looking at that, and I'm and I'm reading the pasuk and Hashem saying a blessing him, and Hashem, why don't I have these blessings? I also want these blessings. I also want this type of relationship with you. Beautiful, David Amelech. You know, King David. It says that he was a man after after God's own heart. I also want to be like that. How come I? How come they're not saying? What are they going to write after the books written about me? And the the amount of faith in a muna that could come out of it that's very simple without it having to be full comes very much so, I feel like, when people study Tanakh. So my question for you is, what do you do with the God question then? Like, you're learning Torah, especially if you're learning Gemara and Mishnah, different things you can learn, and you can forget the God of whose Torah you're learning, um, as opposed to where other pieces of Torah are a little bit more intimate. So with you, do you feel like sometimes that the God question comes up and it's out of place, you don't know how to give it over to people, or walk me through that? Oh, gosh, from what you just said, there's like 20 things I want to respond to. So let me quickly respond to two things. You really have been learning a lot of Torah then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. The back and forth has begun. (laughs) You're my Harusa today. So let me quickly just address two things before I poorly and incompletely address the God question. So first of all, I just want to tell you that from the little I know about you, I know that you have a really strong relationship with Hashem and it's one that I admire just from, from hearing your story and from hearing the way that you talk about it. And I just want to tell you that the more and more you learn Tanakh, the more that I hope you'll see that you're not alone in feeling like, why isn't God reaching out to me directly? There are so many characters and so many people in our history and in our shared narratives who have also had that struggle. And that is the struggle. And and if you see God talking to right. Abraham, you see God talking to Moshe. There's also times when Abraham and Moshe felt like God wasn't talking to them enough. So I just want you to know that you're not alone. Okay, the second thing I wanted to say is that it's really funny to hear you say, you know, there's so much access to something like Talmud, but when are we going to study Tanakh? Because I grew up reform and I grew up a woman. I had Tanakh available to me. There was Tanakh everywhere for me. But for me, I was like, where's the rabbinics? When do I get access to Talmud? I'm, I'm not observant and I'm a woman. Do I just never get to learn Talmud? And so thank God there are a few places now where you can learn Talmud and it's from those institutions that have done that incredibly important revolutionary work of opening up access to Talmud study for women that I have been able to really deeply fall in love with our Torah tradition through those amazing, amazing, amazing people who have made Talmud available to women. Um, so that's amazing. the second thing I wanted to say. Now, the God question. It's a huge question. <laughs> how do you learn? How do you learn these texts without having God be a major part of your experience, whether spiritually or even just theologically? How do you deal with these texts without God? And the question is, um, 
you don't. You, you, don't, you don't learn these texts without God, right? There, there's a certain amount of cognitive dissonance that one can Got it. where you can read these stories where God is a character you're reading about or an idea you're reading about and not something necessarily that you yourself relate to or you yourself can feel or you yourself can access. And I think the more and more that you work with God in these texts in a way that you're comfortable with, the more and more that you will figure out the role that God wants to play in your study, which is to say it's a journey. But God's there. God's there. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay, so here's my next question for you, which I could just stop after the punchline. You live in the heart of Silicon Valley. Yes, I do. (laughs) So it's not a place where I spend much of my time, but the energies often seem to be against tradition. They would seem to be against uh, studying the Torah. At the JCC, there's a lot of Jews there also too, right? But it seems to be like there's some anti-Torah vibes going on over there. So where do you see the future of Torah study happening for Jews who see themselves secular, you know, in that place? So first of all, for those of you who I've never met who are listening to this, I live in Palo Alto, California, which is, as Nisim said, the heart of Silicon Valley. And my husband is involved in Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley is everywhere here. You can't escape it. And when I sort of came upon the idea that I was going to be doing this work of opening a secular yeshiva at the JCC in Palo Alto, I thought the same thing that you're asking me. Palo Alto does not seem like the right place (laughs) for this kind of work. And the truth is what I've discovered here, thank God, is just the perfect like spot on place for a secular yeshiva. Why? Okay, so first of all, Yes, we're in a secular place. We're not in New York. We're not in L.A. We're in a place with a lot of secular Jews or non-affiliated Jews. But this is not a community that is afraid of wisdom. We live, I live in like the smartest place on planet Earth. Everyone is brilliant. And these are people who are interested in learning. They are interested in finding wisdom wherever wisdom is offered. So this is not a place where people are against Torah learning. This is a place where they perhaps are not traditional, but they are not against learning in whatever form it appears. Got it. The second thing is that this is a place with a ginormous population of Israeli expats. Right. And the Israelis who live here are not traditional. They are secular because they came here for work. They didn't come here for any other reason except to work in tech. Wow. And that is a primarily secular community. And when that Israeli community gets to Palo Alto, they start discovering that they're actually Jewish. Right, right. And so what they're looking for is a place to deepen their Jewish commitment, but they're not going to change their Jewish practice. Right. So finding a place where there's access to learning and no behavioral expectations is actually kind of the perfect blend. Got it. Got it. Totally understood. Okay, so for me, I would say my whole essence and I would say the anchor of my whole entire Judaism hinges on prayer, hinges on tefillah. Even in yeshivas where there's obviously a lot of Torah study going on, they also have time for set regular prayers. So where does prayer fit into your curriculum and or uh, where does it fit into your personal life? It's a great question. Can I just ask you a follow-up question before I answer? For sure. Did prayer come first for you or did something else come first? Did you connect to Judaism through community and then you found prayer? Did you connect to Judaism through Torah and then you found prayer? Did you connect through Israel and then prayer? Okay, very good question. No, it was prayer first. It was definitely prayer first. 
I had a Takufa period in life where I was a very strong Christian in my teenage years. Even back then, prayer was my thing. I read the whole entire Bible. I highlighted it so much. You couldn't even, there was no point of having to highlight it because the whole thing was highlighted. I remembered where every verse was. But my thing was that even at 16 years old, 17 years, I would close myself inside of my room and I would pray and just talk to God so long and cry tears, literally. So by the time, you know, I'm having my wake up moment and I'm coming to Judaism and, you know, I just got out of a very bad situation, my natural response was praying. And I think that the more and more I got involved in Judaism, it left because, you know, it was just wasn't a part of the program. Yeah, we had, you know, Shachris, you had Mincha, you had Marv, the three daily prayers, but nobody was talking. And it wasn't until I came across the, the books of Rabbi Arush and the Breslov teachings that I was like, this is it. Because I started to feel like a great lack. I was gaining a lot of knowledge, a lot of information I didn't know, and it was a beautiful thing, but nothing helped me going back and realizing how important tefillah was and how important prayer was, you know, in your in your, in your your own personal life. So for me, I live with that. When I say to pray about something to people, I'm generally not talking about go to this gravesite, say a few to hell, and everything's good. I'm not saying everything's gone, but I have been at gravesites where I've stayed 17 hours. I didn't move. I prayed to God for 17 hours. For me, it's the biggest thing. I even use my music. People ask me, what do you listen to? I don't listen to anything. I use it. If it's usable for me to get myself into a place where I can speak to God, then I listen to it. If not, then I just generally don't have time. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying, because as I picture you as a kid praying on your bedroom floor, I'm reminded that Jewish prayer is primarily not spontaneous. It's set. There's a set text and there's set times. And I never really connected to that. I didn't have that experience as a Jewish kid growing up loving those set prayers because I didn't know what I was saying. I spoke Hebrew, but I didn't understand what I was saying. For me, Torah came first or Torah connected me best because what I started to discover was that all of the prayers that I know and I know them by heart, they're actually a hodgepodge of verses. My, my, te- my teacher, Rabbi Eli Confer, taught this to me, and it blew my mind that so much of our prayer is just a collage of different verses from different places in Tanakh. Right. And when I started learning in a more serious way, and then I could locate and recognize where those verses were coming from and what ideas they were calling on, that's when the prayer started coming to life for me. Mm. But I didn't have a feeling of, oh, I can just spontaneously pray and I will be moved because I didn't know what I was saying. It's now that I've been able to access the deeper meaning of those prayers through my deeper knowledge and my broader knowledge of Torah and of our canon. That's when the prayers have started to come to life for me. But I will say that I love singing. So any prayer that has to do with singing, I'm into that. And You know, in college, I went to Wesleyan University, which has a gospel choir. You can join as an elective. I joined the gospel choir and I loved it so much. And I think Kirk Franklin was like the greatest soundtrack for connecting to God that I've ever experienced. And I started going every Sunday to a a Pentecostal church in West Hartford because I just loved the music. And I remember feeling like, oh, why isn't, why aren't our services like this? Why aren't we singing with all of this might and force? And I will say that now that I have a better sense of what our prayers stand for, I'm better able to call up that reverence, call up that feeling, call up that zest and have a better prayer experience. But it, it isn't primary for me. It really isn't. Or at least not yet. Right. No, it's, listen, it's, it's coming. The biggest thing for me is I felt that same way also, too. You have to realize coming in, and I've had that question from other people who were converting or Bali Chuvas who were coming back from, uh, coming back to Orthodox Judaism from either the secular world, primarily from the Christian background, who have had these fiery services 
where God is, and, and I'm a big believer. I know there's a lot of people who are very anti or whatever. And although I'm not a Christian today, but I don't like hearing people down talk these other faiths because I've seen people with complete devotion and faith in what they believe in. Not all of them may agree with it, but there has been people that have been sincere, wholeheartedly, have given over themselves completely to God the best way that they know how, the best way that's been revealed to them. I mean, my wife was just talking about this, like, you know, with all these different things that go on, we have to healing groups and all this other stuff. But she participated in church shut-ins. They shut the door. They hit the lights, the candles. Everybody's on their face before God, screaming out to God. Now, the truth is, that's not a church original. That comes from Judaism. That's a, that's a play out of our textbook, right? And and we're no longer, you know, what we used to be. But one of the biggest things that I've gotten encouraged from, apart from my many trips to Uman for Rosh Hashanah, I was in Meisharim maybe a week or two before Rosh Hashanah. I, I stayed in Jerusalem. So I ended up stumbling into, I think it was told as Avram Yitzhak, certain Hasidic group. And I'm telling you, I walked in, the place was like electricity. These guys are praying. I was stuck for a second. I was just like, oh, thank God it still exists. It still exists. Tefillah still exists, you know? And I tell people this all the time because I'm a breast lover. People think I say it, but I'm telling you this even before I knew anything about breast love. Prayer itself is more Jewish than Rashi and Tosfos. And I'm not talking about the individuals. I'm talking about the commentaries and the Mephoshim and everything else that come out of it. The most Jewish thing you can do is pray. I was reading even the Parsha, learning Parsha today, and I'm reading in Lech Lecha, and the amount of times is saying that, and Abraham stopped, and he went and invoked the name of Hashem. He went and invoked that. That's our heritage. This is what they did. This is what they did. So it's always, if I could be of any encouragement, you got to pray. Keep praying. <laughs> Baruch Hashem Nisim, you and I in our Chavrissa today, we have found our great <laughs> We, You and I have found our great disagreement in our Chavrissa today because you will say that the most Jewish thing is prayer and it's I Torah? will say that the most Jewish thing is Torah and we can we can duke it out through a lifetime <laughs> of learning and conversation. Okay, I would say this. I would say this, at least. You can't have one without the other. Well, what I will tell you is that I, I'm not so deeply connected to prayer, but I've had fiery experiences experiences. Right. And God is accessed in this world through fiery experiences that come when they come. Right. And I, I, when I met my husband, I had that experience at our, under our chuppah, I had that experience and it wasn't connected to prayer, but oh my goodness, did I have the experience of God's presence on this earth? Right. It's amazing. Okay, so I have more questions for you before we end. Before we get into a bigger machlok, uh, uh, we still got to figure out the solution for secular in English. But uh, I didn't forget it. So Israel's goal and its purpose is always framed as being a land for Jews. But there's so many different disagreements. There's a lot of machlokas. You talk about the Torah and Tefillah. There's a lot of big issues going on here. Primarily, you see this between the Orthodox or Haredi community and the secular community. What do you think that we need in order for there to be a better relationship between between these groups? And do you believe there's a solution? Yeah, so I'm actually pretty optimistic. I will say I'm kind of, I might be in the minority because I'm feeling some optimism about the divisions in our Jewish world. And the reason why I'm feeling optimistic is as follows. I grew up really Zionist and I Israel is in my bones. And I feel like it was there from, from the moment that I entered this world, Israel was in my bones. And one of the things that 
I have learned to appreciate so much about Israel. I knew I felt it. I knew I had this connection. And now that I've learned more about Israel and spent more time in Israel, I have a deeper appreciation. And one of the reasons is because even from the very beginning of Israel, there were debates about what Israel should be. There were people who believed in sort of like what I'll call the Herzl camp, that Israel was a place for Jews, which meant it was a place where we could be safe and avoid anti-Semitism and have sovereignty and self-defense. And then there were those who I'll call the Achad Ha'am school. Achad Ha'am is another one of these early Zionist thinkers, and he was more of the opinion that the purpose of Zionism was not to be a hub for Jews, but for Israel to be a hub for Judaism. It should be a place where Judaism was getting put back into its homeland so that Judaism could flourish in its natural soil. And that mission of Achad Ha'am got seriously interrupted because of the Holocaust. We lost so many Jews that the Herzl vision of what Israel needed to be won out. We needed to preserve our bodies because how could we preserve our ideas and our lives and our culture? How could we preserve anything if we weren't preserving ourselves? But now it's been 70 years since the Holocaust. And one of the reasons why we have so much division in Jewish life is because, thank God, we have enough Jews again for there to be a variety of different iterations of what Jewish life looks like. And I actually think we're at this beautiful moment in Jewish history where we're finally at a critical mass again after post-Holocaust that we can have every little iteration of what Jewish life should look like. And every group has their own idea of what's most important. And every sing- and there's enough people for each of those groups to exist. And so I actually think we're at a turning point where the divisions we're seeing now is actually a good sign. That's true. And some of the boundaries are going to start melting away. And I'm hoping that this is a journey towards a sort of boundaryless Jewish life where we can be more unified in all of the ways that we practice and all the ways we believe. Right. It's very good. Very good answer. Okay, so my last but not least question is this. So you have been involved in many different projects. Which one was your favorite and why? No, not fair. Because I am am made from (laughs) all of the amazing experiences and I am full of gratitude to the, oh my God, the Jewish professionals and Jewish philanthropists who made my Jewish life possible. I am a product of programs. I did. I have done every program and I have worked in so many institutions and I love them all. Thank God. Right. I feel the same way about my songs. But like, you know, if I'm like holding on to one and somebody else says, no, this one is, that, you know. So da, 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 da. If I'm holding on to one of your songs, it's Motherland Bounce. I love <laughs> Motherland Bounce. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Which, which by the way, was not my favorite. That, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you never know. Even if it's something that's dear to you, it, it could later on be like, wow, well, this one was the most impactful. So therefore, it becomes my favorite. I'm going to say the Motherland Bounce. But that was like the one song I recorded. And I was like, all right, let's get out of here. And everybody else pushed me everybody else pushed me to put their song out it wasn't my favorite i had a, if you listen to the album i think i had 17 songs that never got released it was with the label they're still holding the album that's the only song that sounds close to like that nothing else everything else is much more melodic and more real crazy so it was like through everybody else pushing that that one song and now everybody's like oh motherland bounce and i wouldn't have thought that so wow. you, you never can be so sure you know by the way not to knock it but i also love the openings of the opening uh, bars of the deal from which this podcast right. gets its name. It's so good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you so okay, much. So my, my Jewish home has been for about a decade an organization called Bina. Mm-hmm. And Bina is based in Tel Aviv. And it is the place that hosts the secular yeshiva. And it is the place 
through which I was able to start building my own version of a secular yeshiva here in Palo Alto, which is housed at the Oshman family JCC in Palo Alto. So through a partnership of the JCC in Palo Alto and Bina, I've been able to do my work of creating a secular yeshiva. So give credit where credit is due. That's that's my home. But I'll say that I think, and I'm just going to put in a plug for an organization that I'm only loosely affiliated with. I think the most important organization of our time is Safaria. Because Safaria just gave access to Jewish texts to anyone with the internet. And it gave access to those texts as well as the layering of the commentaries in English. Wow, wow. I can't imagine how Jewish learning could happen in our day and age without Safaria. So I just want to give give credit to that organization because I think it is the most important organization of our time. And, you know, people are able to participate in building Safaria. I think I was so lucky Safaria asked me to write an essay that they posted and I wrote an essay about challah. <laughs> right. Challah. Right. The bread. I mean, the bread we all know and love but know nothing about. Um, and and I was able to write uh, this essay about challah that got posted on Safaria and through that process I got to know a little bit more about the amazing things that Safaria have have created and and I I just safaria.org here's my pitch. I think it's the most important organization of our time. Amazing. That's a great pitch. That's a great pitch, by the way. Um, I didn't come up with anything for secular, but listen, at the end of the day, it seems to be doing something. I think the biggest thing is that you're doing something that is going to remind people of the essence of where they came from. And it's going to open up to a lot of people. And I'm sure you see it and you probably have seen it. The opportunity that they probably wouldn't have got if they would have just lived life I was at a concert. I think I was doing a concert years ago, maybe eight years ago at Sasquatch. And I'm trying to get a minion. It's early in the morning. I had to stay over there in the campgrounds. And I got, you know, a Sefer Torah with me. I have a rabbi. And I got about seven guys. And we're running around asking, okay, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? And one of these, <laughs> one of the guys that was there, he goes, no, I'm not Jewish. But my mother's mother was Jewish. But I'm, I'm not Jewish. You know, guys like him, you know what I mean, who could benefit from something like this to at least know just the, the beauty of what they have and, and where the neshama comes from. It's a big, big, big step. So... I commend you for that. As my mother would say, from your lips to God's ears. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Zoe. It's always interesting to see people who may see the world from a different lens trying to arrive at the same conclusions. There was a connection on major points that we were connecting on and some things that we may have seen differently, but at the end goal is always trying to get to the same place. And it's always amazing to be able to talk to people who may see things different than you do and you need to be able to have a better understanding. I feel like a lot of the reason why there's so much disagreement is because there's been powers, powers that be trying to destroy dialogue, honest dialogue, whether two political groups, you stand on one political side, whether it's social sides, they're trying to destroy dialogue and conversation that a person that you may not agree, but you go like, wow, I really see why you feel that way. Um, so I thought it was amazing to have the conversation with her and only looking for her to expand and continue growing and us here on the deal as well. And you know me, before I leave, I love to leave you guys with the song. So I think it's only appropriate to leave you with my new song, Higher, which just was released. The song has been 
an amazing song for me because I almost felt like it was one of those songs where I felt like I got my mojo back. I didn't really like go in on the bars and spitting, but I just felt so good about doing something that was just so uplifting, something that just felt right to me musically. It made me dance, it made me want to groove. Shooting the video was an amazing experience. If you haven't had the opportunity, go check it out on my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash World, and you can see all my clips. I've been in, you know, Ukraine. I've been in Hungary. I played the song and people didn't know it. Like, people usually go crazy for songs that they know already. Nobody knew this song and I'm telling you, they were acting like they knew it. They just gave it so much love. So I want to share the song with you. Higher, by me, yours truly. And until next time, be strong and only go from strength to strength. You're so special Yes you are You know you're his superstar Superstar No matter near or far He's beside you He's behind you Been dreaming about the finishing and winning Gathering holy sparks up at the ending From the little Nakudas that was in us Separating the real from the pretenders Not a contender, the holy one on my speed dial We've been conversating for a long while Shed a couple tears but it's clear now Operation Exile ends now Redemption Oh, I cannot wait, I've been waiting so long How much can I take all this weight I can't hold I just may crumble, I'm ready to fold, fold, fold Confession of words, please erase all my wrongs Please take me higher, put me in your arms I'm holding tighter, please don't let me go, go. Take me For very many years I heard it mentioned But it became surreal, how can we miss it? Feel the light of the Shekhinah and then we kiss it I've been waiting, couldn't take it, I wanna celebrate it I've been yearning for the burning, now I lack patience I don't know what to do, I give it all up I don't know how to move, I give it all up, yeah Oh, I cannot wait, I've been waiting so long How much can I take all this weight I can't hold? I just may crumble, I'm ready to fold, fold, fold Confession of words, please erase all my wrongs Please take me higher, put me in your arms I'm holding tighter, please don't let me go Take me Thank you so much for listening to The Deal with me, Nisim Black. This is a Soul Shop original podcast. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. Our producer is Gilad Brownstein. Please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at The Deal with NB. And subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast content. Please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me, yours truly. God's man. How much can I take all this weight I can't hold? I just may crumble, I'm ready to fold, fold, fold. Confession of words, please erase all my wrongs. Please take me higher, put me in your arms. I'm holding tighter, please don't let me go. Take me higher.